talk to you about the fuel of greatness. I want to talk to you about the concept of passion. You, you can have a beautiful truck, an amazing car. I mean, just, just powerful. But if there's no fuel on board, that truck is not going anywhere. It's passion on the inside of us. It's the fuel. It's the energy that gets us into action. The problem is, is that we all, we all go through tough times in life, through adversity. We get some bobos, some bumps, adversity, trials, tribulation. And you know what happens? It's almost like we've got this valve, and the valve gets uncorked. And here's what happens. Passion drains out of us every time we go through a tough challenge. You're fired up, you're excited. You know how it is. You, you, every day, you wake up in the morning, you may be fired up about life. By about 10 o'clock, you've dealt with three problems at work, and you're like, I can't wait till five. Fact of the matter is, some of you guys are like, man, I love life. And you were like that for three months. Now you're like, I can't wait to go to sleep tonight. And I'm waking up hoping it's a different day. Why? Because passion has drained out of you. You show me a man or a woman that's filled with passion. As a believer in Jesus, the presence of God, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we're made in the image, the likeness, the dominion of God. But God has made a spirit, soul, and body. And passion is a collaboration of your spiritual life and your emotional life and your physical life focused on a goal. God has made us passionate. Passionate people. Speaking of passion and the desire, how to get it in our lives. To be a passionate people reminds me of the story of Socrates. And of course, some of you maybe remember in college studying about Socrates, the great philosopher, you know. And he had a student one time that came up to him and said, Oh, great Socrates, how can I get knowledge? Socrates takes him and he goes down to the ocean side and he gets by the shore and then he walks out, walks out to about waist deep and he's got this young student and he says, what is it that you want? He says, I want knowledge. And so all of a sudden he takes him and he dunks him under the water for about 30 seconds. The kid comes up, he's a, kind of breathing, he goes, and, and Socrates goes, what is it that you want? He goes, I want knowledge. I want knowledge. So he puts him back under the water, <laughs> this time for like 45 seconds. Kid comes up this time, he's kind of spitting out water a little bit. He goes, what is it you want? He wants, I want knowledge. I want knowledge. This time he puts him under for like a minute. After a minute, he pulls him up. He goes, air, I want air. And he says, when you want knowledge as much as you want the next breath of air, then you'll be ready to receive it. In other words, when you want to live with the life of passion so desperately that you'll do whatever to position yourself for God to fill you, then you're ready. Then you're ready. And not until then. Oh, yeah. If you're okay with just a nice existence, then that's what you'll get. If you're a man or woman that's consumed with, I want to pursue God, I want to make a difference with my life, then you'll be positioned. The truth is, the pursuit of greatness to make a difference in this culture and to love God with all of your heart, to help serve humanity, it doesn't come to this casual inquire. It comes by those who understand, watch this, how to leverage passion on the inside. By the way, even secular accomplishments, people that know how to leverage passion, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about personality. I'm not talking about, yeah, man, they're passionate. They're just wild and crazy. I'm not talking about that. This is not a personality profile. This is a fuel on the inside. You, you can see introverts that know how to leverage passion, but you leverage it to lift humanity, to help the team. To help others. I, I, I love Drew Brees. I, I, we've always, I mean, he's such a, 
a wonderful figure, so respected in this area and region. Of course, he was in town last week. Some of you guys may have read that. And I had the opportunity a couple of times to meet him. And um, he was in town mentoring Derek Carr. And by the way, Derek Carr is a born-again spiritual believer. I don't know if you guys know that. He actually preached at one of our staff meetings. He is a fire. How many of y'all grateful the quarterback fired up spirit filled? Now, he's got to perform on the field. Okay? We know you're spirit filled, but throw that ball too. Come on. You know thing I love about Drew Brees is I love the intentionality he's lived his life. He didn't become a great football player because he woke up one day and said, I'm going to be good. No, no. But he was intentional. Watch this. He leverages passion. And by the way, he recognized that leveraging passion is not just for him. It's for the team. Remember, greatness from God's perspective, it's not about self. It's about leveraging it to serve other people. And I just thought it'd be appropriate. You know, one of the things that Drew does, and you guys have probably seen this before, some of our locations, maybe around the world you haven't, but, but he, would, he would always lead the pregame chant, and, and he was fired up. And so I just thought it's football season, and welcome, Drew, just for a couple of these pregame chants. Check this out. We'll be right back. I want to welcome our Atlanta campus right now. All you dirty birds over there. Can we just honor our Atlanta campus? Come on, we love them. Followers of Jesus. We used to have a sad football team. But anyway, so. Let me, let me tell you what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about wildfire. Wildfire burns and destroys. We all know that. But controlled fire helps and heals. There's a big difference. When I look in the Bible, I'm not talking about wildfire. We, we, we all know what happens when fire gets out of control. But, but when you find somebody that understands how to leverage passion to lift humanity, to be a mom or a dad that lives with passion for God and passion for their assignment and their purpose, they can lift their family. They can lift, listen, your work environment because you've learned how to leverage passion. Passion is a strong desire, it's a zeal, it's an intense emotional drive, it stirs the soul. John Eldridge, the author of the highly regarded book for men, Wild at Heart, said this about desire and passion. He, he said that desire is the essence of the human soul. It is the secret of our existence. Abs listen to this. Absolutely nothing of human greatness is ever accomplished without it. Desire. Passion. You know what the problem is? The problem is, is that we only tend to emphasize the negative side of passion. You know what's interesting? It, if you look at words, I love to study words etymologically, how a word is derived and where it comes from. The same word for passion is the same word for lust in the Bible. It's the same word, passion for God. It's the same. The negative side is lust, which is to satiate, satiate self. 
That's negative. Lust is never a good thing. But the flip side of that is passion. Same concept, same word. It's focused on God. In other words, passion is not wrong. It depends upon where the target is. If it's to satisfy self, it's lust. If it's to serve humanity and glorify God, it's passion for God. The issue is where's your passion focused? Where are you focusing all of your energies and your enthusiasm and, and, and how God's designed you? Where are you focusing your gifts, your talents, and abilities to satisfy self or glorify God and lift humanity? Today, I want to talk to you about the fuel, the fuel for greatness. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to John chapter 2. As you're turning there, the story is told of a man. His name is Millard, and his wife, Linda, Millard made a ton of money early on at 21, 29 years old. He looked at his wife one day. They were multimillionaires, and this was years ago. Entrepreneurial business people, and, and there was a certain emptiness in his heart, and, and he looked around, and he saw the value of home ownership, and he saw that dignity comes through home ownership and the importance of home ownership. And he was so moved by that. He said, you know what? And he looked at Linda. He said, Linda, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. We've got to, we've got to right the wrong. By the way, what, you, what consistently bothers you often may be a clue of how God has designed you. Something to correct. Something to be a solution to. Something to help hurting humanity. And so he started a little organization. You probably have never heard of it before. It's called Habitat for Humanity. Anybody ever heard of that before? I'm joking. It's very large. He took the passion in his heart, and when he saw people that, that, that didn't have home ownership and, and they weren't able to, to move in, and matter of fact, we've partnered with them for many years, and people in our church, we've on Serve Day, we've been a part of helping to do the homes, and people moved into them. And, and so I don't know how many thousands and thousands of homes, but it, com it, it comes when, when an individual leverages passion, great human good comes from that. Yes, glorifying God, but also human good. Question, are you leveraging how God's designed you for human good? John chapter 2, we look at Jesus, and Jesus one day came into the temple, and I think that we get a good picture of how the Lord Jesus is depicted in the Bible. Oftentimes we get caricatures of Jesus that I don't think are clear and accurate. Oftentimes we simply just see, you know, help little Jesus out. He's got a little lamb, a little sheep, and he's sweet, and he is, and he's very comforting. But he also, he was able to right wrong and deal with injustices when necessary. He was a passionate individual. Not wildfire, but controlled fire. John chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says... Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves. And when he found the money changers doing business, he made a whip of cords. Jesus came into the temple. And here's how it works. Jewish people would come up to Jerusalem. You always go up to Jerusalem in the Bible. And the reason why they would go to Jerusalem is because they would, well, they would go to the temple and they would sacrifice. As you see, they would sacrifice animals. And, 
And, and so they would walk often many, many miles. And when you'd come up to the temple, they would actually, they had vendors on the perimeter, which would be kind of the outer court area of the temple. And these vendors would sell animals that you could buy to sacrifice. The problem was, is that they would often charge exorbitant rates. Airport rates. How many know what I'm talking about? We gotcha. That burger's 20 bucks and there's none other around. That's exactly what was happening. Wait a minute. If I'd have got this sheep 100 miles from here, well, you know, sorry, if you want it or not. You want to please God or not? All right. Number two, Jewish people would pay what's called a temple tax. And in order to get the temple tax, they would, they would have to exchange their money. And they would have like currency brokers. You guys, those of you that have tra- traveled to foreign lands, you go and, and, and you walk up to a booth. If it's an airport, they often have a, you know, a glass or plexiglass thing. And, and you're looking at exchange rates. You're hoping that the U.S. money is better than this. And, you know, what is the exchange rate? And, and, and here's the thing. Whoever owns that, if it's a private enterprise, they can, they can, they can put a little profit in it. The problem is, is when they got you. And, they, and, they, and the exchange rate is way high. I mean, they, they make a ton of money off of you. And they know that you can't buy anything in the nation unless you get that money. That's exactly what was happening. So, Jesus sees two injustices. They're ripping them off for the price of these animals. And they're ripping them off on the exchange rate. So, what happens? The Bible says that Jesus in John chapter 2 verse 15 when he made a whip of cords. You ever see the movie where Jesus, he'll just go into the temple and it's almost like he overreacts. It's like, you know, he's like, he sees it and he's like, hey! And he just starts going, the promise that didn't happen. The Bible actually says that he, he knelt down and he, and he, made, he made a whip of cords. I, I don't know how long it takes to make a whip of cords. It's not five minutes. And for those of you that understand in Bible times, the leather pieces, and they would, similar to braiding, right? You would, they would, they'd put it together. And so, I don't know, did it take 30 minutes? Did it take an hour? i tell you one thing. It took more than just 30 seconds. And so, what was happening? What was he thinking? What he, I'm going to tell you what he was thinking. He was focusing his passion. That's an injustice. That's wrong. Taking it. Oh, man. And then the Bible says, he gets up. Here it is. Here it is. Let's check this out. Watch this. Now, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Verse 26. Jesus continues, take those things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. What was he doing? What he was doing was he was focusing his passion to deal with an issue. Can I tell you this? What do you do with your passion? I'm not talking about wildfire. I'm not talking about personality profile. Well, they're extrovert. I'm not talking about that. Are you allowing God to focus your passion in humility, but with intentionality where you can watch this? Yes, glorify God, but also lift humanity. I want to talk to you about how to build or recapture passion. Some of you have gone through some tough stuff in life. All of us at different levels, right? But some of you, even recently, maybe it's a, a family situation or an illness or a 
challenge with the child, and, and it's impacted you. And here, here's what happens. Here's what happens. It's almost like there's a drain in the tub. You know, you're filled up, there's this water, and, you, and when you open the drain, it's like all that water goes. It, it goes out. In the same way, the more you get hit in life, man, you're just, you're fired up, but then you get hit, and adversity, a circuit. And you know what happens? It's like all, here it is, all of that passion just starts to drain out. And now it's not, I'm excited about the day. It's almost, now it's, I just can't wait to go to sleep at night. Yeah. How do you recapture that passion? How, how can you be a man or a woman of, of godly passion where God can speak to you and, and you can leverage that for human good and for God's glory? Number one, great passion begins with a great vision of God. Great passion begins with a great vision of God. When we have an encounter with God, something supernatural happens. You remember Moses? Moses went up on the mountain, right? He climbed up the mountain. The Bible actually says this in Exodus 33, that, that Moses spoke face to face with God. I mean, it was an encounter with God. It was powerful. And then after that, there was such a, like a, there was such, by the way, the Bible says that God, God would come down in a cloud. It's like the presence of God was so tangible and manifest. I know some of you think, well, man, I wish that happened to me. God, the Holy Spirit, will speak to you today. The Spirit of God, if you're a believer, lives on the inside of you. Well, I just wish God would speak. He will speak to you. God's presence will come on you today. You don't have to go up the mountain. You don't have to go to Israel. You can, God will talk to you today. But you got to be open to that. Great passion comes as we have an encounter with God. Something is ignited and reignited. And I'm not talking about just when you got saved. Well, I got saved in 1972. Great. Have you experienced God in a dynamic way since then? No. Well, you should have in 1982 and 92 and 02 and 12. Why? You get saved once, but how many know you should get refilled with God's presence and have an encounter with God all the time? I had a lady one time, I was standing on the floor and I said, I said, I said, forgive me for saying this, but I'll see you always walking late for the message. I know there's different reasons why. And she goes, she goes, it's the it's the singing part. I just can't do it. I just, I start crying and I'm overwhelmed and I just start crying. I just, I just sense something. And I said, I said, let me help you as your pastor. That's, that's God. God's presence is, is God's trying to heal you of your, some broken places in your life. And God loves you. And she goes, I, I, I guess so. I just didn't really know. Let me tell you, God will speak to you in church. God will speak to you in your Bible reading. You don't have to go to Israel. God will speak to you in, in, in your car. You put on worship music. You start crying out to God. In other words, here's what a great passion begins when you have an experience with God. You know what Moses did? He came down from that mountain and he saw all the idolatry. The children of Israel, man, he just started dealing. Why? Because great passion comes out of that experience. Isaiah, the Bible says in Isaiah, it's so powerful, chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died. He said, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. He was in the temple. King Uzziah was a king. He died. And, and the heavens were opened up. And, 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 and the prophet, he was a prophet, Isaiah, he saw the Lord. Every time you have an experience with God, you're, you're never left neutral. Something's got to change. Look what he says. By the way, he said, I saw the Lord then he said, I saw myself. Then I saw the surroundings around me, culture around me. 
And then he says this in verse 8. Then I said, here I am, send me. Why? By the way, let me help everybody. If you really have an experience with God, the first thing that you see is, 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 is yourself and where you need to grow and where you need to change and how God can help you. Then you see culture. If you look at culture before you look at yourself, you're what's called a Pharisee. But if you see your shortcomings, if you see where you are, and then you see everybody else, and then you realize as a missionary, here I am, send me God. Passion that comes out of an encounter with God. Can I tell you something? It's something that's so powerful and intentional. I see the Lord. Question, when was the last time you had an encounter with God? How about Paul the apostle? Paul was on the road to Damascus in modern day Syria. He had letters in his hand. He's going to throw, he's going to throw what? Christians in jail. And the Bible says a light from heaven literally comes down, knocks him to the ground. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goats? In other words, why are you fighting against my plan for your life? Woom, he has an experience with God. And he gets up and God calls him to be a, an apostle to the Gentiles. Number one, if you lack passion in your life, my encouragement to you is to open up your heart afresh to an experience with God. In church, in your Bible reading, in your car, on the way to work, put in worship music, just begin to say, God, I'm open to you, Lord. Light, light a fresh fire in my heart. Oh, God, I'm asking, oh, God, to come and to, and to fill me afresh. And just open your heart to a, to a fresh encounter with God. God loves you, and God wants to meet you right where you are. Number two. If you want fresh passion ignited in your life, great passion comes from being connected to God's purpose. God's purpose. It's in his presence. God's purpose comes out of God's presence. Watch this. Paul, the apostle, the one that was knocked on the road, God opened his eyes and man, he saw, he started seeing differently. He came out of that encounter with God. His eyes were opened up. He started seeing his life differently. He started seeing his calling. Look what it says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. He wrote this book, right, this, this letter to the church at Philippi while he was in prison. He got out of prison preaching. Paul was in prison. He'd get out of prison for preaching the gospel. He'd go preach more. He'd get back. He'd write more. Talk about redeeming even negative circumstances. It's another message. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Everyone say one thing. Here it is, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Look at verse 14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upper call. You know what Paul was saying? Here's what he was saying. Don't let the devil, and don't, let me tell you, don't let the devil remind you of your past because it'll drain you of your current passion. How many times are you fired up in life and you're moving forward in life and all of a sudden you start thinking about your past? You start thinking about your past. Well, question, is the blood of Christ strong enough or not to forgive you your past and to give you a new future? Let me tell you, that's why Paul wrote, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are new. How many of y'all grateful for God's grace? Come on. Are y'all grateful for that? Old things are passed away. One of the number one reasons people, passion is drained out of your heart is because you have eyes looking backwards. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. Thank God for the grace of Jesus. Thank God for the blood of Christ. We repent. We turn. But you got to keep your eyes looking forward. you got to keep your, we go from faith to faith, glory to glory, strength to strength. you got to keep looking for the prize of what is the upward call. It's his purpose. 
It was his purpose. It was the assignment that God gave him to be an apostle to the Gentiles to preach the gospel to. In other words, in other words, you show me a man or a woman that understands their purpose. And I'll show you somebody that lives with intent. They live differently. They handle adversity differently. Woo! It hits them. But they realize they don't recoil and give up because they understand there's a bigger call. There's a bigger purpose. Yeah. Leveraging passion. Passion is the fuel on board that gets that truck moving, that gets that car moving. And Paul the Apostle said, I, I, I am... I, I am, I am focused on God's presence and encounter with God and I am focused on God's purpose on the earth. And Acts, later in the book of Acts, he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I, I, don't want, I want that to be said about my life that I'm not disobedient to God's call. Disobedient, I, I'm not, by the way, I'm not a frustrated business person that really, or a frustrated preacher that really wants to be a business. I'm grateful for what I do. I, it's a privilege. I, I'm, so, I'm so excited. I mean, I'm more excited at 34 like I am right now than when I, just seeing if the guests are like, I thought he looked young. Come on, are y'all with me? No, but I'm serious. If you are in your call, there's a fire in your heart doesn't mean you don't get tired. doesn't mean you don't go through things. But I'm going to tell you something. But there's a fire that, hey, God has called me. God has given me an assignment. And there's a certain passion in your heart. If you're always looking behind, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done this. You know the guy, you know, you hear the story. You know, it's like he's 50. You know, he's made all this money on Wall Street. And he goes, I always wanted to be a history teacher, but my dad made me do it. Well, can I tell you something? Do what you're supposed to do whenever it is. Quit living somebody else's script and live what God's script is. And let me tell you something. Whatever it is, it'll bring joy to you if you get in God's purpose. What's God's purpose for your life? That's where passion comes. Do you think I get tired? Of course I get tired. I'm dealing with y'all. But anyway, so I'm joking. The loving pastor. But when you know your call, there's a fire. Yeah. Pastor, how do I increase my passion? Number one. Have a fresh encounter. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, I need a fresh encounter with you. Number two, understanding God's purpose. Number three, the third way to increase passion in your life. Great passion requires right priorities. Did you know that you can have the right purpose but the wrong priorities and you still, you still lack passion? You can have the right purpose and the wrong priorities and a lot of things can go wrong. It's priorities, two priorities for maintaining passion. Number one, you must become a people of prayer and the word. I love the apostles in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually. Everyone say continually. Not as casual inquirers. Continually to prayer in the ministry of the word. Prayer in the ministry. Pastor, what is the number one thing that will continue to fuel passion? It's prayer in the ministry of the word. It's prayer and being in your Bible. It's prayer. It's, 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 it's not three. It's not four. It's those two. Because out of that, that's how you experience God. I, um, a couple years ago, I was with some friends, and we were in Canada, and it was cold, and we were in the woods. And let me just tell you what we weren't doing, bird watching. I'm not a bird watcher. And, and let me tell you what we weren't doing, camping or glamping. You know what glamping is? I don't know. Ask your rich friends. But anyway, so <laughs> seriously, I've never done it. <laughs> they call it camping. It's not. We were in the woods, and we were hunting. I'm a bow hunter. 
And I don't care if you don't like hunting. Those that don't like it, they just usually leave the church. Anyway, so, so I was bow hunting. I'm just having fun today. And, and, and so, so we get to this. We're in way northern Alberta. I mean, way. And so we're there with some friends. And here's my tent. I'm, I'm staying with a buddy. And they've got these, these, these wood, they, like furnaces. They're not furnaces. They're kind of like, they're not stoves. You don't cook on them. But they're the fireplaces. Literally, they put them in these tents. And so here's what he said. The guy goes, look, it's real important. It can get real cold tonight. I don't care if you have a zero, sub-zero, you know, sleeping bag. You, you, need to, you need to wake up, and y'all just need to take turns and put logs on the fire. Because you're, you're gonna get, it's going to get real cold. And I'm concerned if you don't do that. So, of course, I talked to my friend. I said, look, you know, I'll wake up. You know, we'll set our alarm. You wake up every two hours. You know, we'll go back and forth. And, of course, one thing you quickly find out when you're in northern Alberta hunting with your friend is they don't participate. <laughs> he was sleeping and snoring. I don't know if he was like his body weight. It was like a, uh, anyway. So he just, I was like, I'm sitting over there going, I'm waiting on his participation. And I'm like, I'm not going to die waiting for him to participate. So I, watch this. If you want to get warm, you got to make a choice. You ready? Here's the choice. I got to get out of my sleeping bag and I got to get a log. And, there, and on the side of the tent, there's some logs. So I got to go out and get some logs. I got to walk over to this little makeshift little fireplace type thing. I got to open it up. Watch this. And I got to put a log in. In other words, I've got to temporarily be extremely discomforted. It's very uncomfortable. I've got to make a choice to inconvenience myself and to be in the cold for the short term so that I can put logs on the fire so the long term I can get warm. In other words, I got to make a choice in the short term that costs me for the long term that will warm me. Do you see where I'm going with this? With the word of God, the word of God is the log. You got to make a choice. Pastor, I'm busy. You're not too busy to be able to talk to God in the morning. You're not too busy to be able to read God's word in the morning. You got to make a choice in the short term. It may, you, maybe you'll have to wake up earlier. Maybe you'll have to stay up. You got to make a, sh- a choice in the short term. Watch this. To get up out of bed, to go over and to get in the book, to put it on the fire, to bring warmth to your life. Does this make sense? You got to make the choice. You got to make the choice. Well, I don't want to do that. Then freeze. I'm going to make a statement, and I believe with all of my heart, you'll never grow more spiritually past your word and prayer life. You need, you need, you need to be in the book. Great passion requires great priorities. Prayer in the word. You got to be around the right people. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools will suffer harm. You ever been around enthusiastic people? It's contagious. Let me tell you what else is contagious. Being around pessimistic people. Negative people. It's just contagious. Like, ugh. But you get around people that are fired up. They're excited about life. They love God. They're excited about their purpose and the calling of God. And there's just, there's a pulsating sense of, man, I just, I want that too. That's how it's supposed to work. Yeah. Let me give you the last one. Great passion. Are y'all learning anything today? Is this helping everybody? Hope so. What have we learned? Great passion. Passion leaks. All right? It goes out of the tub. 
How do we stop the, how do we put the stopper back on and build, fill, fill, fill the tub back? How, how, do, how do we do that? Number one, a fresh encounter with God produces passion. Moses, boom, met God. Bam, action. Isaiah, Paul. Two, fresh passion comes from being realigned with God's purpose and call. You show me a man or a woman that understands God's assignment, and I'll show you somebody that leverages passion for human good. And number four, or number three, right priorities, but number four, don't miss this. Great passion is focused on the glory of God. You ever been around somebody, and I say this very respectfully, you ever been around somebody that's just flat out into themselves? And it's just like, hmm. And you hurt for them a little bit. You just kind of hurt. You're like, oh, gosh, this is just, ah. I, um... I, be, I believe, I want to give you a concept I'm gonna, that I think is so important. And I'm going to tell you a story. I believe that there is a tension that we have to walk in. I believe in what's called self-respect. But I believe there's a big difference between self-respect and self-worship. Self-respect means that you value God's creative intention in making you in his image, likeness, and dominion. And you value that. You value who you are as a human being, that you're made in the image of God. Your worth comes out of, it's a derivative value. You know what derivative value? It's, it's, it's derived from God. Your value. So I believe in self-respect, that we respect that. But self-worship is different than self-respect. Self-worship is where you become the center of attention. That is the opposite of difference makers. Difference makers leverage who God's designed them to be to help others and to glorify God. Glorifying God means, here's what glorifying God means. You take who God made you to be, your gifts and your talents and your abilities, and you know what you do? You leverage all of that to serve humanity, and in doing so, you bring glory to God. Let them see your good works that they may glorify my Father in heaven. That's in the Bible. In other words, when you do what God's called you to do, and you do it in such a way our lives are not to be receptacles in a sense. They're to be reflectors. To reflect what? To reflect God's glory. In other words, when somebody looks at you, they should say, not how great you are, but how great God is. But God uses people to reflect his glory. you got to see this. It is, by the way, it's our responsibility to ascribe who God is in our lives. It's because of God. It's what God's done. It's like the song says, look what the Lord has done. I, um, there's great, great difference between self-respect and self-worship. That's biblical self-respect. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Self-respect. Value yourself as according to being made in the image of God. Self-worship is, and by the way, that's where our culture is. It is intoxicated with self, self-fees, self, everything self. The problem with focusing on self is it actually leads you unfulfilled. It leaves you wanting more it le- because it doesn't satisfy. God never designed you to get satisfied by focusing on self. There's an inordinate infatuation with self. The way to be healthy is it's, it's actually counterintuitive. It's antithetical to how life says. Life says focus on self and you'll be happy. God says focus on me and others and you'll be happy. 
Given, you shall be given to you. Press down, shaken together, running over. Humble yourself, you'll be exalted. It's counterintuitive. Is God against pleasure? No, he's not against pleasure. But if you seek pleasure, it becomes elusive, like a rabbit in a field. But if you seek glorifying God, God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. Do you see it? So that when somebody looks at your life and you're doing business and you're, and you're raising a family and you're, and, you're, and you're doing and you're teaching and you're in this school system and you're using your gifts and talents and abilities, but you're doing it in such a way that people know you're a witness for Christ and, and you're doing it in such a way that, that you're a reflector of God's glory, that brings glory to God. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory, to him be the glory. Self-respect is not self-worship. We respect ourselves, but we reflect the glory of God. We glorify God. It's God who's done it. God's given us the skill set. God is the one who's given us the time. We glorify God. In him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. For the glory of God, to the glory of God, for the glory of in the church by Jesus Christ. So, so we have a choice. We have a choice to live the way of the world, which leads to emptiness. It's like, I gotta have another relationship. If I can just keep doing this, if I just keep, if I just try to satisfy myself, just, it, it doesn't work. That's not how God designed life. But if we live for the glory of God. Hey, by the way, I love chariots of fire. Remember when Eric Little, the British man, remember when he ran? He said, here's what he said. He says, when I run, I feel the pleasure of God. When you do what God's called you to do, and you do it in such an upward way that people understand your intentionality as you're a follower of Jesus, when you do it, you do it for the glory of God. What's the purpose of raising great kids? For the glory of God, not so that you can be great. Well, what's the purpose of building a great business? Not so you can be great. It's, it's, it's to glorify God. Use your skills, your talent, and then leverage that passion. Why? For the glory of God and the betterment of humanity. And that will satisfy your soul. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Everybody, if they would. Those of you that are joining us online <coughs> in just a moment, you'll be able to let the host know what God's doing in your heart, God's doing in your life. I'm just going to pray right now first. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd work deep within us. There'll be a fresh passion in our hearts. Release a fresh passion in our hearts to love you, to honor you. Lord, may that bathtub of our soul be filled up with the presence of God. A fresh passion for being in your presence, for understanding purpose. Put more logs on the fire. Lord, we choose to take temporary discomfort, getting up early, because we know the greater good of warming our souls, feeding ourselves the word of God. We open ourselves to you. If you do not know Christ today, you're not sure about your relationship with God, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you today. I'm not going to do anything publicly asking you to come forward. But right where you are, I am publicly going to ask you just to raise your hand. You say, Pastor, I need Christ. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I died today that I'm ready to stay before God. I want to pray for you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can't save you. Church of the King can't save you. I tell you, Ken, his name is Jesus. He loves you. He cares about you. He died on the cross for you. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, the Bible says. And, it's you, and it's, this is the moment to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. 
Well, what do you need to believe? Number one, you've got to believe that you've fallen short. All of us. Romans 3.23, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Somebody's got to die for your sin and my sin. Ah, but the gift of God is Christ. That's in whom we have eternal life. So we've got to receive Christ. Do you know Jesus? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? Just a moment, the count of three, I'm going to ask for a show of hands, and then I'm going to pray for you. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I want to surrender my heart to Christ. If that's you, the count of three, just lift your hand up high so I can see it. One, two, three. Quickly, hold it up high. God bless you guys right here. God bless you, sir. God bless every one of you right here. God bless you. God bless you up top, man. God bless you guys, and you as well, sir. Yeah. God bless you, buddy. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you right there, young man. God bless you up top. Yeah. And you, sir. Yeah. And you guys up there. Yeah. Yeah, I just sense the presence of the Lord right now. Let's just pray together with those that are trusting Christ. Can we do that? Let's just pray right now as a church fam. Let's, let's pray with them. Let's say, dear Jesus. Come on, everyone. Dear Jesus, I come to you today. A sinner in need of a Savior. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life, and I put it in your hands. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. Wow, what an amazing message. And hey, if you are giving your life to Christ right now, I just wanna let you know that this changes everything. Scripture says that you are a new creation. You are loved, you are forgiven, you are made whole, you are restored in Christ. We are so excited for you. And listen, if I had the opportunity to sit across from you at a coffee shop or in a park, I would let you know two things. As you start this new journey with Jesus, you need two things in your life. One, you need to get the right resources. Get on a Bible reading plan, get a journal to write down what God's speaking to you. Find a a place, a, a certain chair or a certain room where you can connect with God daily. Get the right resources and get the right people. Find people that will rally around you, support you, and encourage you, hold you accountable as you begin your new life with Jesus. And hey, I also want to let you know that we would be honored to provide both of those things. In fact, right now on the screen or in the chat room, there's a link. And if you click that, let us know that you're making that decision. And we would love to be able to provide you with both of those things. We look forward to following up with you. Yes, we are definitely celebrating with you right now. This is the best decision that you will ever make. And I just wanna encourage you to keep showing up, keep pressing in. God has some amazing things for you. And I believe that as you lean into community and lean into God's family that he has for you, you're gonna see it in your life. It's so, so good, Gabby, it's so true. We're so excited and overjoyed for you making this decision. And hey, to all of the men out there, I wanna just extend a personal invite. This Tuesday night, we have men's night. It is gonna be so powerful, a time to gather with brothers in Christ, to lift praises to our God, to learn from his word, what it means to be a biblical man. It's gonna be so powerful. So invite every guy you know, bring them to men's night. And to everyone out there, we can't wait to see you next week as we continue our series, Difference Maker. We can't wait to see you, same time. Same place, see you next week.